What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 155 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I spoke with Alex Tuthill. Alex is a friend of mine from Nicaragua who started a hostel called Pachumama. He is somebody I've always admired as a businessman, somebody who throughout the years in Nicaragua, I've seen many people come and go, and he is one that I can truly say has made a successful life for himself financially in the endeavor that he started with Pachumama. It's not always easy when you go to these countries and you... You're seeking that dream life. Um, you see opportunity and you try to make that dream come true. A lot of us go through the normal trials and tribulations of starting a business, but very few of us take our businesses to the level that Alex was able to take his, as he says, primarily through his work ethic. But again, he's somebody I always admired for just sheer grit, ingenuity, somebody who was ambitious and took his hostel to multi-locations along with a Sunday Funday party that started bringing in really good amount of revenue for him, and then just somebody who's always keeping an eye on the the changing market around him, adjusting, adapting, and diving into new ventures wherever he sees an opportunity. It's a really cool episode, and he takes us through the step-by-step process in which he has achieved these successes, and you get to hear all the crazy twists and turns that uh, just third-world life throws at all of us. One really big announcement I'd like to make to all of you, as you hear me always stating in the intro or outro that you can support Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. And for many of you who know, it's a platform that allows people that create content to have their fans support them through a financial monthly donation. Always appreciated. Nothing is expected. But I have added something for all the patrons out there who have been donating that you can also participate in, which is I have started filming these episodes. And I started with episode 161 with Leon Logothetis. You might remember him from The Kindness Diaries on Netflix. I I interviewed him in episode 88. Well, I've been wanting to experiment with videoing my guests that I get to sit down with in person. And he was the first one that I broached the idea to. And he was really kind in letting me film our conversation. And I figured that would be a nice gift for all of the patrons out there who are donating to have access to these live, raw, uncut video recordings of me conducting these interviews that you hear me do it doing week in and week out. So this will only be for my patrons. I am trying to develop a YouTube channel where you can, you know, see little video vignettes of the pictures that I can put a collage together so you can kind of see the individual, where they live, you know, what they are doing and get a feel for them. But For anybody out there who is interested in supporting Misfits and Rejects through Patreon, no matter what the donation, you will get access to these videos that I'm putting together of the live interviews that I do with the individuals in person. So as you may have heard, this will be episode 161 that the patrons are getting access to right now. That's quite a few episodes away. I have many backlog. I try to keep at least three months of episodes backlogged, just enabling me to not stress about trying to create content because as you may or may not know, each episode takes me about 10 hours to produce per week. So it's definitely a labor of love and has been for the last three and a half years. But for the, the patrons that I do have, I want to give them something a little extra special for supporting me and helping just the production of these a little bit easier through, you know, the purchase of a beer that I can help put my guests at ease with or, you know, putting gas in the car. Like to get this episode with Leon, I had to drive three hours round trip to get, I think the episode was only like 17 minutes long. So stuff like that, maybe jumping on a bus if I'm in a third world country to get to a neighboring village to interview an expat that was recommended to me. So that's kind of where the money's going. I do have ambitions to buy new equipment and that equipment obviously costs more money than I'm generating from this podcast. So a portion of what I'm getting from the patrons is, you know, going into a small savings that eventually will hopefully help me buy, you know, like a Zoom H6 or a little bit better camera because right now I'm just using a GoPro to uh, video my guests. So I'm only videoing the guests that I sit down with in person in these cool places around the world. I don't record um, my Skype conversations. I think that's kind of boring. But if you are somebody who wants to support and you want to get access to these live interviews that are just raw, uncut, uh, please feel free to head over to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects or just search it, you know, Misfits and Rejects on Patreon. And uh, any amount, I appreciate it all. I don't expect it, but it is something that I think you're going to really like if you're interested in participating. And one quick final note before we start this episode with Alex from Pachumama. The microphone that I was speaking into during this conversation over my Skype interview died right before the interview started. So I sat there and spoke into a microphone that wasn't picking up any of 
the sound. And so what was picking up the sound was actually my computer. So it's totally audible. It just sounds like I'm speaking into the microphone on a computer. And um, luckily, Daleks does a great job of telling his story. And so he does most of the talking. But you will note that from the past episodes that you've been following that obviously the audio on my voice is quite a bit different than normal. That's just because I had a, a small technical mishap that I'm going to try to prevent from happening again, but no doubt the nature of recording it probably will, but I'm going to do my best to prevent it. So just be aware of that totally audible. You can totally clearly hear what I'm saying. It's there's nothing wrong with the sound. It just sounds a lot different from the episodes that you might've been listening to in the past where I speak into my, my USB microphone. So thank you for being patient for this uh, little longer than average intro and sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Alex Tuthill from Pachumama Hostel in Nicaragua. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Alex Tuthill, a friend of mine from Nicaragua, who started Pachimama, started Sunday Funday, has weathered the political storm of Nicaragua in ways that many of us couldn't somebody that I've always been tremendously inspired by because of his work ethic, his creative thinking when it comes to trying to make a life in a third world country. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure, dude. I've been trying to get you on for a long time. We never really could connect, and I'm glad you uh, were able to make the time today and just kind of give the audience some inspirational insight into life in Nicaragua and how you've made it for so long. And you've done really well for yourself, dude. I've always been impressed with the, uh, the ventures that you've started and been able to sustain. Yeah. Um, you know, it's definitely been a hard road, but we're, we're still here plugging along and, um, I'm not going anywhere fast anytime soon. So as long as things at least stay the, stay the way they are or start to improve, I, I think I'll be here for hopefully another 10 years. Epic, dude. Yeah, I hope I'll get back there soon and we could uh, share a bottle of rum to uh, cheer, toast to all your success. But uh, you were originally from Boise, Idaho, right? And prior to making that big jump to Nicaragua, you were on a completely different path, I believe. Pre-show, you said you were looking to become a pro skier. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. Um, I went to school at University of Washington and then uh, got a got a nine-to-five desk job like right out of school. Hated that. Absolutely hated that. So moved to um, Salt Lake and lived at the base of Snowbird and Alta for two years and uh, was kind of trying to do the, the free ride world tour circuit and riding around with kind of the top dogs back there, down there, and was really into it, was really passionate, you know, skiing 120 days a year. Uh, it's kind of my, my main thing that drove me in life. And then I, I blew out my knee on a big jump. Um, I blew the entire knee out, ACL, MCL, patella tendon, and both meniscus all in one crash. And yeah, and then after that, kind of changed a lot of stuff. And that's what eventually got me to kind of move down here. I mean, it sounds like there was a little bit of time between blowing everything out and then deciding to make that big leap to Nicaragua. What was that driving factor to get you to like uproot and, and decide, fuck it, I'm moving to Nicaragua to, to make a life for myself? Um, honestly, it was probably the recession. Uh, it happened, you know, kind of 2008, 2009. I had just blown my knee out. Um, I just like busted my ass working to pay off all the medical debt. Uh, and then my, my dad got canned from Hewlett Packard after working there for 30 years. And that really affected me. And kind of also at the same time I was working for like a bunch of like a health insurance company that was run by a bunch of Mormons. And I didn't really look the part, um, you know, I had long hair, uh, <laughs> you know, scraggly jeans kind of on when I was in the office and I was one of the top sales guys there and they just wouldn't really pay me for what I was worth or give me a promotion and stuff like that. And so and then the combination of that and, you know, seeing kind of what happened to my, my dad after 30 years of, you know, being a slave to the man, I just decided to 
pack up everything I owned. I sold everything, my truck, you know, bed, my all my furniture. Um, bought a one-way ticket to Cancun. It was right during swine flu. So I basically just picked the cheapest ticket I could find to Central America. And that was to, to Cancun because of the uh, swine flu that was going on. Uh, no one wanted to go down there. So yeah, I just bought a one-way ticket to there and then kind of started traveling and ended up in Nicaragua and met my business partner. And, you know, there's obviously a, l- a lot more to that, but uh, here I am 10 years later. That's cool. Dude, that's similar to a, a mutual friend of ours, Yazi, who kind of just flew into Cancun as well, I believe, and hitchhiked her way to Nicaragua and set up camp in San Juan originally. Um, now she's off around the world with John Eames, another mutual friend of ours from episode 27. But uh Man, it's always cool. I love these stories of people who just kind of like throw caution to the wind, land somewhere, continue on. And then when you did get to San Juan and you alluded to meeting your business partner, I mean, what was the plan? Like, did you guys have a few beers one night and just meet and say like, hey, let's start a hostel? Because Pachamama is like one of the premier hostels in the San Juan these days. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I've never been a big person of, you know, kind of fate or destiny or what have you you know i'm a very empirical guy and whatnot but uh after kind of that's like this circumstances i definitely think you know kind of maybe changed my thinking and really kind of um think you know maybe everyone has a a path that they're meant meant for um because how the two of us met i was living in a room for eight dollars a night you know private room kind of a little crap hole around the corner from our biggest competitor, Casa Oro. Uh, it was owned by different owners at the time, but at the time, they wouldn't let Nicaraguans stay there. And so my business partner went in. He was a wealthy kid from Managua, from a good family, driving his mom's SUV, wearing a polo shirt, and you know had a comb over. <laughs> and it wasn't like he was some you know kind of vagabond off the street, and they turned him away. And so he just walked around the corner, and checked into the little kind of, you know, crappy hotel. I don't even think it's a hotel anymore where I was staying. And we, you know, I immediately, he was the only other person there. It was low season, I think September or October at that point. He hadn't been to San Juan in 10 years. His family has a beach house up in Leon, so in north, northern Nicaragua. So, you know, every family holiday, they're all heading up there. And we just hit it off. He had a car. <laughs> so that was kind of my first incentive to, to you know, butter, butter the guy up a bit was, hey, let's, let's go to the beach, man. He didn't know where the beach was. So I, uh, I showed him where it was. I was just learning to surf back then. And we hit it off, just started drinking for, you know, two days together, drinking beers, going out to Iguanas. You know, the main local bar was kind of the only bar at that time. And I was walking home one night. Uh, with him back to our hotel and I looked over at a, at a property and I said, Hey man, I got a, I got a business plan for this property. And he said, what? I said, I want to do a a youth hostel there. And the first words out of his mouth were, you want a partner? And I kind of looked at him. We were both drunk at that point. We're not drunk, but you know, I'd been drinking and whatnot. I said, Oh yeah, sure. Not thinking much of it. Um, he said goodbye, had to go back to work, you know, after the weekend, we, we stayed, you know, got his contact and whatnot. He went on his way. I didn't think much of it. I didn't think I'd maybe ever really see the guy again. And as the following two weeks, uh, approached and I was kind of trying to put this business plan together for a youth hostel, every single person I met asked me if I had a local partner and said I would do a lot better if I had a local partner. So I called him up and and said, Hey man, are you serious about this? He said he was. And I decided, I said, I said, the first thing I was going to do is I was going to check out to make sure he was a good person. And he was, you know, a, a good family. I think if you know, if you meet someone's family, you can tell a lot about them. And so I said, Hey, I want to come up and meet your family. And I went and lived at his uh, parents' house with him um, for about a month in Managua. That's really, really interesting. I think, um, What's the word like adult of you in some ways? Because I mean, the classic mistake every gringo or Westerner makes when they land is they meet somebody who speaks fluent English in the country um, and they think they automatically have a friend and a potential business partner if they have that kind of idea in mind. 
and they partner with them without really getting to know them, and they ultimately get completely ripped off in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that was really important to me, and I was I was you know smart enough at a young age to do that. I was twenty four when we first started, so it was important to me that I knew where he came from, what he was like. You know, I wasn't I mean, at that point. It wasn't like I had a ton of money, but you know, it was my life savings. I had worked you know, three years, my butt off out of, out of school. I think it started with 20 grand or something like that. Um, and so, you know, my options were if this 20, if this guy blew my, my money because he was a, you know, an idiot, uh, I'm back at home living in mom's basement, you know, bartending or something. And I just did not want that to happen, especially with the way the economy was in the States at that time. So, um, yeah, you know, I just I went up there. It was boring as shit. It was definitely an act of patience living in, you know, like on the outskirts of Managua in a big house with, you know, his four brothers and his parents and everything. And uh, <laughs> just he'd go to work every day. I would do yoga and practice Spanish and then wait for him to get home. And if he, you know, it was, it was definitely trying, but I'm really glad I did it. And I lucked out, honestly, you know, I met a really good guy from a really good family. It was been nothing but honest and helped helped me have a life down here and uh, likewise you know I've, I've shown him a different life too so you guys are still partners today so yeah we're still currently partners in sunday funday and pachamama okay yeah we'll get to sunday funday in a minute because you know over the the 10 years that you've been there you grew pachamama to what three locations san juan being the pilot project and then where was the second one managua so we had at the at the height of kind of you know pre-revolution and everything, we had three locations: two in San Juan del Sur. Um, we slept about seventy people a night, and then another kind of more hotel in Managua that was a bit you know for backpackers. We had that option, but also kind of more oriented towards a higher end market as well. How I mean, when you talked about your business plan and, and the way you were thinking about it. Did you always have a vision of trying to grow it to multiple locations? Because so many people start with these ideas of having their little dream hostel on the beach somewhere and then never grow it. Most times it just fails. So, I mean, I'm just curious to kind of find out more of your secret to success. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, the secret of success is hard work. You know, um, you can't you can't come down here and think, oh, I'm from the States or I'm, you know, I'm I've got this Western mindset. I'm a bit smarter than everyone and I'm going to make it. Uh, just based on that, it's, you know, grinding hours. I've done every single job, you name it from cleaning to plumbing, to electrician, to front desk, to, you know, being the boss, to the party guy, to the surf instructor, you name it, you know, shuttle driver, I've done it. And I think that's really the secret of success. I think in terms of like a, a long-term vision, I remember, I haven't really thought about this in a long time. It's kind of fun bringing up these old memories, but, um, like I came down and I wasn't a surfer yet. I was um, you know, grew up in the mountains in Idaho and had a bunch of pro ski friends. And so my kind of dream was to start a Pachamama. And this is a bit why we called it that in, in kind of like Las Lenas or in Chile somewhere and kind of split time in between the two locations of, you know, the surf beach life and then up in the mountains, uh, you know, doing the snow thing with kind of my pro skier friends and actually one of my pro skier friends invested in the original Pachamama. Um, and that was kind of our, our game plan, but that got derailed for a couple of reasons. One, the swell season here is the same as the snow season in Argentina. So, um, you know, you'd miss that out. And then two, he ended up getting married pretty quick and kind of, kind of faded, faded from the scene, but still, still a good friend today and still, shreds harder than most people i know his name's dash long and uh awesome skier awesome guy uh is a staple of any of the teton gravity research movies for i don't know probably 15 years since he was like 17 so the hostel idea was kind of in the back of your mind and you it was kind of built around the idea of, of living that dream of half the year snowboard or skiing sorry and the other half the year surfing yeah so the hostel idea came from originally from bocas del toro so my senior year of uh, university, I went to Bocos del Toro on like kind of a, I wouldn't call it spring break, like going crazy, but just like, you know, a trip with, with, with my friends, classmates and everything. And I had a mutual friend who owned one of kind of more, it's, it's closed now, but it was one back in the day, one of the more famous 
I would say, backpacking joints in all of Central America. And I saw what those guys were doing. And I said, man, I can do this. This looks easy. At the time, I didn't know that it was actually really tough. But uh, I just loved their lifestyle and I loved what they were doing. And they were kind of a you know, friend of a friend type of thing. And that's kind of where I got the passion for that. Also, backpacking through Europe in college, you know, made me really love kind of the community aspect of hostels and the, how you get to meet all these different people and everything like that. I thought it was so cool. So I said, hey, you know, I, I, I want to start one of these one day. And yeah, it worked out that I found a good partner and we found a location and then we just started growing. You know, we started with uh, five surfboards and, you know, 15 beds and just went from there. You know, there'd be points in our business where we'd have people come in and, you know, we'd be full, but we'd be, you know, on, on track to, and I'd be, I'd say, Hey, no, no, stay tonight. I'll go build the other bunk bed right now. So you can have a place to sleep. And that's what we would do. I'd go out and buy the materials that day, and build the bunk bed myself in that afternoon, just so I could get two more guests, you know? Whoa, dude, that's crazy. What a cool story. As far as the capital um, injection that you had, as you mentioned, like 20,000 of your own, did your partner have to match it and the other investors match that? Or were you starting with your capital only and then just pouring everything back into it? I think, I think at the end, I think at the beginning we started with about 30 grand. And then just continue to reinvest, 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 reinvest. So, you know, buying more boards, buying more beds, buying a truck just over the years until we grew it into, you know, other locations and, and everything like that. So at its peak, would you say you built it to like, you know, multi six figure business? Um, definitely in revenue um, terms. Uh, we never owned our own properties and our landlords always knew we made a ton of money. So we never had kind of favorable, favorable rent terms, uh, that, that would kind of allow us to, to make that kind of, you know, good cash where, where we made the majority of our money would be from the events, Sunday, fun day, and, uh, the bars, you know, is, is really where, where you make money. Um, and tours, you know, you don't make money in the beds. The beds are, the beds are there just to get people, you know, I would, I would always say heads in beds, lead lead to good profits so you know just get the heads and heads and beds that's what we want um and the, and the rest of the money will come if you're doing your job right and so that was kind of always my goal but yeah just in terms of you know you're selling eight dollar beds or ten dollar beds you know i think now they're up to 12 or whatever but you know i started at five dollars originally originally so you can't you're never going to get rich i mean that was never my point to get rich down here but uh, you're never going to get rich, you know, selling eight dollar dorm beds. You got to kind of have the 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 ancillary items uh, to to fill in the rest of you know the rest of your profits and whatnot. Why not um, tackle that real estate, you know, and then try to find something that you could own outright? We tried forever, man, and I always had investors and this and that, and it was. It was tough, you know. The people who San Juan del Sur is, you know, own the the main big properties are all owned by the wealthy Managuans from the country. So they, you know, they've had that fam that that family home since the '60s or the '50s or the '70s, and you know, four brothers own it now, and you know, two brothers want to sell and two don't, and it just it was never easy. It wasn't like you know, rolling in the U.S. and find a real estate guy and boom, there it is. And it was also priced really high when we were there in the market. There was never anything that I could, I, I could justify, you know, spending that kind of money. Like um, talking like in the millions or like in the hundreds of thousands? It was, they were in, the properties were always in the hundreds of thousands, but you know, someone would want half a million dollars for kind of a shithole house. And you know, it's like, man, this, this house is worth two fifty. You know, you're, 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 you price yourself double. Oh, it's one block from the beach. And it's like, well, it's one block from the beach, but this is still a tiny, tiny market. We're not in San Diego, bud. And so uh, I think, you know, that the well, you know, rich people don't need to sell, sell their assets, right? You only sell your assets when you're in a pinch. And so it was always kind of difficult for us to do that. And we were really proud of how we grew and we didn't really ever want to take on like a big investor or something like that and not have control over our company. Um, and I think we were making enough money to be happy at the time. And then, you know, before, 
you get to the age where you say, okay, you know, I'm getting older and I, I need to start making some serious coin. We had started Sunday Funday, which kind of provided that. Yeah, let's talk about that because that, like you alluded to earlier, was the cash cow and the cash flow that really kind of injected your life with a different standard of living, I would say, than a lot of, you know, the, the hostile owners that start out and just kind of maintain that like $5 a bed sort of night um, way of living. So what is Sunday Funday? Can you talk to the audience about that and how the idea came about? Yeah, so for anyone who is listening now, um, Sunday, I'll just kind of explain what Sunday Funday Pool Crawl is. The official name is Sunday Funday Pool Crawl, and it is a weekly party um where at the height of um the season like of the height of high season you know january to april down here in nicaragua and yeah, i would say 2017 was our best year ever uh, we would be doing an, on average 500 to 800 kids a every sunday would buy an entrance to this party um our highest one being you know well over a thousand i think i think I think it was January 1st, the day after New Year's. That killed me. That was a tough day because um, we would always throw a New Year's party the day before as well. Uh, but so, yeah, so it, it's, a, it's a take on kind of a bar crawl. It goes to three different locations. Um, they all have pools and, like, beautiful views and amazing settings. Um, we hire DJs. Uh, we have event staff. Um, we give out free drinks, you know, that kind of stuff. So the way I kind of to get people to picture it in their head who have never been here or, you know, haven't seen like our Instagram page or anything, I describe it as a Vegas pool party for non-pretentious people that is cheap and actually fun, I guess is how I would describe it. You know, it's not meant, you know, we're not selling $10,000 cabanas, but uh, yeah, the idea just became... We were in our new location. We had moved from our first location at Pachamama to a bigger one with a pool and a better space for our bar. Um, and we were all sitting around the pool, and there were these guys who were starting a hostel in the same neighborhood who had been running a pub crawl, like a Tuesday or a Thursday night pub crawl, and doing pretty well. I think charging people $10 and you know having 50 people show up, which... You know, if you're just a guy running a pub crawl $500 a week in Nicaragua, you're living like a king. And so these guys, one of the local bar owners here, I won't, I won't say who, bought a property close to us. And he had always been kind of angry that we – he, he always blamed the, the, the failures of his bar on us that, you know, we, we didn't – you know, we created problems for him, which isn't true. It's just, you know, as – as competition comes in, you either have to compete or go home. And he wasn't competing. He wasn't changing. He wasn't adapting and whatnot. And, and we were, we're young, you know? Um, so anyway, he had hired these, these pup crawl guys and gave them kind of full reign to start this hostel. And the hostel was, you know, a block away from ours. And instead of kind of coming in to Pachamama, shaking our hands and saying, Hey, let's work together. We're in the same community. You know, this is a very community oriented place. We all have each other's backs. We try to support each other and whatnot. Uh, they did the opposite. You know, They would stand at the corner and try to steal clients as they're walking to our place. They'd come in and rip off of our, our prices, off our drink menu and our activities and stuff like that, and then undercut us by a dollar and everything. And so you know, all of our guests were the ones doing their pub crawl. And so we were sitting around the pool one day going how are we going to beat this pub crawl because we're pissed at these guys and they're not acting right and they need a they need a, a lesson and i was you know had the staff in there and we we're kind of brainstorming and i said i don't want to just do another pub crawl i'm better than that we're better than that let's think of something cool and a girl just said we were in the pool literally and the girl said why don't you do a pool crawl and i was, I was like what and she's like yeah pool crawl i was like that's brilliant we're doing that and so the next weekend um we did it on a Sunday. I said, nothing goes on on a Sunday. People just sit around and they leave on Monday. Let's do something fun and maybe they'll stay a little bit longer. So we teamed up with the, another hostel, a good friends of ours called the Naked Tiger uh, Hostel up on the hill there uh, with Megan Mutri and at the time uh, a guy named Ryan Spiegel, um, who has a book out as well uh, about his life down here. So if you guys want to 
read anything more about hosteling in Nicaragua, that's a good read. I can't quite remember it uh, off the top of my head. So we went up to him. We said we joined forces. You know, we were the people. We controlled what the people did. And you check in, in the hostel. They're going to do what we tell them. Hey, go go to this beach. Do this. You know, you want to go fishing while you're here. Or you want to do this. So he said, hey, you want to go on this 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 pool crawl with us? And the first one started. We charged five dollars, and we gave him a free shirt. And the reason behind the free shirt at the beginning was I had made a ton of. I'm in San Juan, bitch. I don't know if you guys remember those. I'm in Miami, bitch shirts. Back in the day, I think it was like a song by, uh, I don't know, some horrible rap artist. You know, it was like, I'm in Miami, bitch. That song, and the shirts uh, got pretty popular. And so I made a bunch of I'm in San Juan, bitch shirts. And they weren't selling, of course, because they were horrible. So I said, hey, Ryan, I need to get rid of these shirts. Can we just, you know, can I try, or we're charged $10. Yeah, it was five dollars with the shirt, and I said I'll take two fifty for each shirt. He said, "Sure, man, I'll help you out." And the shirts were a huge success. So I said, "Next week we'll make our own shirt." So we made a Sunday Funday pool crawl shirt, and we charged ten dollars. You know, I think they charged us back then five dollars for the shirt, so we we're making five dollars profit per kid. And we, I think, the first one we had eighty people show up, which was pretty good. And we went to the three different pools, and we had a blast. And so the next weekend. We had maybe, I think, 130 people or 140 people show up. Um, and it was, doing, it was doing good, and it was pretty good money, and it wasn't hard. And it was just, like, fun hanging out with people. Within three months of us running this every weekend, we were already up to 350 people every single Sunday clamoring. And I, we didn't know what to do because I didn't – you know, I wasn't – I had come from, you know, working in bars and events and stuff like that back home but i had never like run an events company or anything like that and when you get 350 kind of rowdy people it's kind of hard to control especially when you're moving them around we're putting them in trucks and and moving them here we wanted you know the main thing is we wanted everyone to be safe um so i finally said hey man we need to get some staff because before we did everything we you know we started with an ipod playing the music um so i would be the dj on the ipod the entertainment staff get people playing games the security if anyone was getting you know out of control we'd go talk to them we would run the the lineup for the shuttles which would be kind of messy and after everyone's trying to leave one event everyone wants you know drunk wants to get to the next place so we'd be kind of balanced like almost bouncers for that and uh then at the end of the night i would go and bartend my own bar <laughs> so uh you know you start with ticket sales at 9 a.m um, and we'd have a, by within three months of starting this event, we had a line out the door and at the original event, we would, we, we shut the numbers off. And I also think that was a big part of our success was we limited it at the beginning because we just couldn't handle the volume. We didn't have enough staff. We weren't ready for it. And we kind of didn't want to have this giant party yet. We wanted to grow with it and we were having, we were making enough money and having a ton of fun with just kind of the 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 people that were coming every week and so yeah we would I, we would have a line out the door 300 people and we would walk out and just hand them a ticket like a kind of a coupon to buy a ticket and say if you don't have one of these coupons go home you know and we would turn away 40 or 50 60 people every weekend dude that's crazy let's talk a little bit in more detail you know about the origins of it where you're you're giving people a five dollar t-shirt essentially and then what, walking them from one location to another without, and then just the location, like when you get to the first pool, for example, they're just buying their drinks over the bar. Like how'd that work? Yeah. So the first pool would be Pachamama and that's where you'd buy your tickets. And then that's where everyone would come in. Right. Um, and we'd kind of get the party going there. Um, so they'd be hanging out in our pool and our pool was kind of small. It wasn't that glamorous or anything like that. And then originally from there, we would then we'd go to Ariba's bar, which is just around the corner, right on the beach. We'd load up shuttles, and we took them to the surf ranch, which is like kind of a nice pool out of town. We only lasted with the surf ranch for about a month, a month and a half, um, until before then we moved to Pelican Eyes, which was like a five-star resort up on the hill. And we really wanted that. We wanted the the wow factor of the pool. So we wanted to be able to give people that you know Vegas pool party experience for ten dollars or you know i mean we started at five we went up and to the right now we we charge twenty dollars and two at 2017 at our 
at our kind of our peak, we were charging $30 entrance and we were at $30 for most of the time of the event. Um, but we wanted to give you that kind of experience that, you know, baller VIP, amazing experience without the pretentiousness, without, you know, someone, you know, looking at you saying, Hey, you're not wearing the right thing to come in, but, and also just the beauty of it and, and, and everything. So, and that's kind of what we created. But at like $10 a pop, say when you first started, they're not getting free drinks. They're just getting access to the pool, right? And then they have to pay for their drinks. They're, they're getting access and then the shuttles. So kind of my costs were the DJs. Um, I don't even think we were paying DJs back then. So the DJs, the t-shirts, the security staff eventually, but for a long while, it was just us kind of running the security as well. Um, you know, whatever other kind of staff I, I, I had, we kind of bootstrapped it ourselves, you know, mostly at the beginning. And then uh, the shuttle drivers, that was kind of always the main thing because we would load them up in trucks and take them into each place. So we would go to Pachamama. And then, you know, the main one to kind of get us going was Pelican Eyes. And then over to the Naked Tiger, which is, you know, a good 15-minute drive up there for sunset. And then they would come back down to Pachamama um, at nighttime or Rebus. Interesting. So it sounds like in your heyday when you were doing those $1,000 day or 1,000-person days, that's thirty grand, dude, in one day. I mean, gross, obviously, but, like, there's still probably a pretty big margin for you as well. Yeah, we were, we were making we were doing pretty well. We were making a lot of money. That's so fucking interesting, dude. Just how it just kind of organically grew from a chick saying, "Do a pool crawl," and then it just like within the next weekend you had it up and running. I mean, hats off to you, dude. That that's not an easy endeavor to start number one and then get it started that quickly. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. You know, at the beginning, it was. It was organic. I mean, you said it exactly. That was what was so cool about it. It grew naturally. And it grew as fast. It grew faster than we wanted it to. Um, so I think, and we didn't even really try to market it. It was it was a very underground thing, and we wanted it that way. We wanted it, you know. We wanted you to be a backpacker. We wanted you to hear about it from someone else that you talked to. You know, we didn't want some, you know, like Rich Monaguin. You know, not nothing against those guys, like coming in and acting, you know, all stuck up with their with their nose up or or some rich American coming in and doing that. We wanted it to be raw and, and core. And it just grew too fast to the point where we couldn't even handle that and finally said, okay, it's time to time to get staff, time to start, you know. And then we started investing in speaker. You know, we have about 20, our business has $20,000 worth of speaker equipment and lighting and stuff like that and now, you know, over the years. But, you know, it was little by little. Then we, you know, we bought the speakers and we started paying DJs and then we, you know, started getting a full production staff with us and, you know, and then, you know, we've had amazing, amazing DJs come play, play our venue for, for free almost just because, you know, they'll be down here in Nicaragua working on their own music and whatnot and want an audience to t test it out on. So we've had, you know, Grizz and Goldfish and What's So Not and, you know, if you're into electronic music, these guys could easily get, you know, $60, $70, $100 at a festival for a ticket. And, you know, you would just show up to Sunday Funday one day and they would be there on stage and you wouldn't even know about it. Damn, dude. And this is, I mean, these are two separate businesses, right? Like you have Pachimama and then you have this kind of event business, it sounds like. Is that correct? Yeah, eventually they did that. But uh, at the beginning, it was the two hostels. It was Pachamama and Naked Tiger that kind of owned it 50-50. And then one of the owners, Ryan Spiegel, who had that book I was talking about, he left and he left it all to kind of Megan. And then we bought in some other partners into Pachamama. I was just getting a bit too tired to run the part, be the party guy anymore. Um, and, you know, I had a girlfriend that I was real serious, now my wife. Uh, at the time. And so we bought in um, a guy named Chris Burton Porteous, who one of my best friends to this day, um, amazing guy. I've never met anyone with a bigger heart or uh, better with people than ever. And this is actually <laughs> a pretty crazy hostile story, um, kind of go going off of Sunday Funday, but um, very interesting. And this is how I found Chris was he was down there just hanging out we were already running sunday funday he did sunday funday i'd gotten to know him he was i don't think he was staying at pachamama but he was spending a lot of time there and we had become friends 
and we were having a party on a Friday night and we had just had the hardest times with our night guards, always falling asleep. Um, now we have an amazing staff and an amazing night guard, but we had this shitty run of night guards. Um, you know, these are people who open the door for guests at nighttime, you know, make sure everything's safe on our street and just basically are there to take care of any problem at, at night, right? When the reception isn't open and whatnot, call the owners if there is a big problem. And I've had a million of those calls um, from back in the day. But this one, so we had finally fired so many different people. We said, okay, we're going to go with one of the hired security companies. My business partner, Giovanni, had a cousin with a, with a security company. And he said, these guys are good. They're professional. You know, they're a bit more expensive, but they're, they're going to be here. And they said, we said, okay. And they go, oh, but they come with a shotgun. And we go, oh, we don't need a gun. We're not a bank. We're not an ATM. Like, you, don't worry about it. I said, well, they have to come with a shotgun. It's company regulation. I said, well, could we just not have the shotgun? <laughs> they said, no, has to have. I said, okay, no big deal. But our rule was shotguns never loaded. No problem, right? If a gun is never loaded, it's never going to never gonna create a problem. Um, he loaded the gun one night. So he loads the gun. It's in the middle of a party. It's a big Friday night. Um, Friday night was our like big money-making party night. Place is packed. He falls asleep. He's sitting on a, like the kitchen counter with the gun across kind of like on the counter, but like across his arms. He falls asleep and accidentally pulls the trigger and lets the gun go off in the middle of the hostel. Five minutes before he let the gun go off, there was a girl sitting in the rocking chair where the bullet peppered the back of the rocking chair, completely mutilated it. It would have, uh, the shotgun pellets would have taken her from, you know, the chest up. She would have been dead. I would not be here right now. You know, I could possibly be in jail. It would have been insanely bad. Literally, I mean, we, you know, immediately took the gun away from him, fired him on the spot. You know, that was the end of any of that, that, that stuff. But that is how I met Chris was I was trying to deal with everything and everyone in the party and, and everything like that. And I, I asked him, Hey bud, you think you could maybe try to calm this girl down who almost just died? She, she wasn't hurt at all in the process whatsoever. She had gotten up five minutes before, but I think it was just kind of the, Oh my God, I almost just lost my life kind of thing. And he dealt with her amazingly. And I kind of saw that and I saw how good he was with people. And we ended up uh, buying him in for about two years of the business. And then, uh, you know, things kind of changed. San Juan wasn't the best place for him. And he moved back to Canada eventually. What a story, dude. And I mean, not an uncommon one for those of us who spend enough time down in Nicaragua. Like we each have countless stories of similar sort of accidents that have easily been avoided. dude. Like. Easily been avoided. Just don't load the gun. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, but dude, like, it's just another example of somebody, you know, like you doing what you do so naturally and persevering and creating something that not many people that I've known over the years I spent in Nicaragua um, were able to do at the level in which you were able to operate. You know, people can maintain a lifestyle, like even myself, like my lifestyle was sufficient, but I wasn't making money. Like you made money, dude. Like that's so impressive. <laughs> I mean, hats off. Yeah, we've done hats all right. To you, but like, let's talk now about a little bit about the politics of things and how it it shifted your business. I mean, you're not struggling, obviously, but like you have what only now one Pachamama in San Juan. Uh, you still do Sunday Fun Day. Like, what are the numbers on Sunday Fun Day nowadays? Yeah, we're still doing Sunday Fun Day. Uh, we have a twenty dollar price ticket, so a little cut there. Um, I, you know, I have like four partners in Sunday Fun Day, so. I don't get to see all, all, all the cash. It's not really a cash cow anymore. Um, you know, it, it provides a little bit, uh, but definitely not enough to live on for me down here um, anymore. And we've seen, uh, you know, about a 50% drop in, in participant rates. But it's still good. You know, these kids come out every weekend. They have a blast. There'll still be 200, 250, you know, on a big weekend, 300 people having a good time. And, you know, I think that's what's important is they're still coming out, having fun, seeing San Juan. Um, you know, I've always encouraged that you don't just come and do Sunday fun day, but they, you stay a while, you check out all the beaches, you know, go do a zip line tour, or go fishing or, you know, do something outdoors because the place is so beautiful. 
and whatnot, get to know the locals a little bit. But, but yeah. So Sunday fun day, I mean, it originated as like a Sunday event. Is there a multi-day weekend thing going on that I'm hearing as well? Or is it still just kind of the, the, the ticket you buy just includes all Sunday pool pub crawl? Yeah, it just all all the, the whole Sunday is is what the ticket includes. We used to run packages through the hostel where, you know, you get all the different activities and Sunday fun day included for a certain price, um, kind of back before. And I'm sure this high season coming up, we'll do that and do the same. Do you think? Yeah. Do you notice uh, things are changing? Just so the audience understands a little bit what we're talking about. About a year ago, the politics in Nicaragua took a, a crazy turn and scared a lot of tourism away. I mean, all tourism for a lot of us. Um, which is why I left. And um, it's been hard for a lot of people trying to make a life for themselves, expats and locals alike. So, you know, Alex has taken a huge hit um, to his businesses, which is why he's down to one hostel. And um, he took a 50% cut in Sunday Funday. Is that about right? I mean, did I miss anything on that summary? Yeah, in terms of, of, of I mean, financially, it's way bigger than that. But uh, in terms of uh, just pure numbers, like, yeah, about 50% cut or, or or maybe more in terms of uh, people showing up these days um but i think again the, the key thing to note though is the people that do come still have an amazing time and uh it's 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 almost it's really sad to see but at the same time it's kind of awesome because it's like it was when i started 2009 2010 levels and it's kind of that raw traveler you know kind of feeling that you have where the 2017 levels was just you know man i was just i was just running constantly constantly busy constantly on the phone you know at at the height of 2017 i had over 50 people working for me um you know it was just and, and it wasn't that raw kind of you know fun traveler anymore it was you know, your one week Canadian tourist or, you know, your one week American tourist coming down, which is fun and great. And I want those people to all come back and enjoy this beautiful place. Um, but, uh, you know, the reality of it is that they're not here anymore and they have kind of shied away from Nicaragua due to, uh, you know, kind of what happened in April of 2018. But you do, you're seeing a rise, like people are starting to come back. Is that correct? Cause I mean, it's totally safe, obviously. Like that was a little blip on the radar, which unfortunately American media sensationalized to, to yeah. an extent. I mean, there's obviously a lot of truth in what was reported, but, um, they were like Nicaraguans were never targeting Westerners. It was, it was a, in between them no. and the government and you and I were traveling safely to and from Managua, even though we had to go through roadblocks. Yeah, you know, to up and down the country multiple times during during that. I actually, funny story, I drove into the first, very first riots in Managua, the, the very first one, which was uh, right in front of Unan. And I was just leaving my other Pachamama Managua uh, business. I had been there working all day. I was heading home to San Juan. And I, had, I had busted my butt to get out of there uh, before traffic would hit. And so it was about 3.45 or 4, and I'd gotten onto Calle Terra Messiah, and I was going to cruise to San Juan, and I just hit a like traffic. And I was like, what is going on? There shouldn't be traffic till 5 or 5.30 even. Like, I thought, I thought I did my job and got out of there. Like, what the hell? So I'm sitting in about 45 minutes worth of traffic, and finally I get through, and it's because there's only one lane of highway. And there's a full-on riot police, um, uh, you know, against kind of the students that were – were, were rioting at that at this point and they had you know kind of smashed in some storefront windows and and uh turned over some cars and actually i was on a diet at that point and it was my one cheat day in managua um and i always went and got buffalo wild wings as like my cheat food for the week and so the only reason i had driven that way was to go get buffalo wild wings and so I'm, i sit for about an hour i'm pretty grumpy get through this roadblock um, I think I had left like kind of stoned or something too. And I get through this roadblock finally. And I'm like, I'm getting these goddamn wings. <laughs> I just waited an hour for it. I had no idea what was going on or what was going to, you know, lead from that riot. I had just, you know, gone through it. And, uh, so I pull over to get the Buffalo wild wings and I walk up and all the waiters of course are out on the balcony looking at, you know, kind of the show going on in the street. This is about a block away from the restaurant it was like, the main thing. And I said, Hey, are you guys open? And they point to the fachada in Spanish or the, the glass windows and they'd all been smashed in. 
And they're like, no, man, come on. <laughs> Look at our restaurant. And I was like, take, take away? You guys are going to need the money. <laughs> Dude. And then, uh, yeah. Did you so, see any violence yeah, when not, you were not, coming back that day? I mean, other than just, you know, kind of the students um, going against the riot police. But nothing that made me, you know, fear for my life or fear for maybe, let's say, you know, n- nothing that you wouldn't see maybe in a, in a Western world with riots. Kind of, kind of the same thing. And, you know, it kind of happens everywhere in the world, I think. And uh, I'm just glad that that tourism is is, is heading back on track and um, it is safe to travel here now and we're not experiencing any kind of sort of violence or whatnot. And I have seen, we have seen a lot of growth. Pachamama closed for the first time in June, 2018. I was really, really proud of that. We even moved buildings and didn't close. We paid for everyone to go to the beach that day, told them to pack their bags and move to their beds while they were gone. We even moved buildings, did not close one single night ever. And uh, unfortunately, kind of the situation forced us to close for the first time in like nine years at that point um, in June. Uh, so that was definitely a very, very sad day. All our staff were crying. I think me and my business partner were also also crying just because we had gone so long being open. You know, no Christmas is off. No, you know, nothing. No slow season. We Whatever we needed to do, we we fought through and kept those doors open. And uh, it was a, an unfortunate, unfortunate coincidence. How there. long did you stay closed for before you opened back up? Um, we opened uh, November of 2018. So about, you know, the summer basically. So like five months or something like that. Yeah. Around there. We remodeled the place in October and then, and then opened it back up in November. Wow, dude. What a wild run. But I mean, you're resourceful, dude. You have multiple other enterprises, which I just want to touch upon real quickly because um, I know your wife, Tash, and Charlie Brown started a clothing company that they've been very successful with. And are you financially involved and involved with that business as well? Well, I mean, you know what they say, you own half of what your wife has, right? So uh, in that regard, yeah. But as like a direct partner, um, no, I'm not, not, you know, I'm like not on the corporation and whatnot. But I, I help a lot with them. I help uh, a lot of their strategic planning, um, a lot of their just kind of forecasting. I do their books for their online store at uh, oryxsurf.com. Um, and then I actually now have a factory located in Tippi Tapa, which is about kind of a main clothing town, 40 minutes outside of Managua, where um, we produce the Oryx clothing line. As well as, I'm assuming, other brands are welcome to produce in your factory as well. Is that correct? Yeah, we do a lot of upcycle clothing. So upcycle clothing, upcycle fabric is um, stuff that is second use. So let's say a big factory orders way too much fabric, and instead of burning it, we go in and buy it because burning it is just really wasteful, right? Um, and we go in and buy it and make that clothing. So all of like all the men's all anything cotton on OryxSurf.com is upcycle which is kind of a cool concept. It doesn't mean that we ordered a new role. We're not putting more, you know, um, pollutants or anything into the environment by ordering new fabric off of a new fact, like another factory and, and creating all that. We're trying to use everything kind of second, secondhand, basically, basically secondhand stuff, but it's new. Right. Yeah, it's not secondhand <laughs> in the sense it's already been made. It's being made just through material that's been unused. On yours, exactly. Dude, what an entrepreneur, brother. I mean, were you born this way? Like, how did you become this person, <laughs> this mogul, this <laughs> mogul? Yeah, I, I've always had, uh, you know, kind of that, that spirit for making money, you know, from a paper route at a young age. I also give a lot of credit to my dad. He, he used to, like, you know, fill out Excel sheets for me, um, you know, on, on my chores and then would pay me, like, fourteen seventy eight for my allowance because – I wouldn't do, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I think that kind of, you know, helped me at a young age. No kidding. Um, and then you just have one more. You just have a store, right, that just is opening right now in Tamarindo with this Oric brand of your wife's and Charlie's? Yeah, it's not a fully Oric store. The store is actually called Sundays, um, kind of a spin off of the the, uh, the pool party. Um, it is going to be selling Oric. So if you're looking for any cool Oric threads you're in Tamarindo, Costa Rica, please come by and uh um grab some of our new gear 
but as well as kind of more resort oriented clothing stuff girls want to wear while they're you know laying around the pool um you know cover-ups that kind of stuff as well as a full swim line as well yeah because i mean you're not going to find orc in any stores in canada or the u.s it's like from it's a nicaraguan brand born in nicaragua you sell to the tourists passing through you have an online um entity as well that people could purchase from as well right yeah exactly yeah or surf.com um go on there and then yeah our full full online collection is there and then kind of what you see in stores sometimes varies a little bit as well yeah dude so if somebody's going to come spend a day with you at pachimama i mean you don't you're not on the day-to-day anymore right you have staff taking care of all that you just come in for you know a little bit of face time every now and again or what yeah, I try to give us some TLC every 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 now and again. I've got I've had a manager named Juan who is a rock. Um, couldn't do it without him. He's amazing. He works so hard. The hardest person, hardest working person I've ever met. Um, works harder than I do by far. Um, so he kind of runs the day to day. Big surfer as well. So you know gets all the tourists out there surfing, and then I'm there every Sunday. So hanging out, trying to, you know, meet and greet people, making sure everything's good. And then um, whenever kind of we have some big events and whatnot, I'm there. Or, uh, you know, if the wife lets me out of the house, go down and have a few bevies at the bar. But, I mean, as far as, you know, staying there, it's you got you got the hostel option, which is, what well, I'm assuming, dorm beds. Um, and then you have private rooms. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, private rooms, you know, on the budget side. So you're looking at like 25 bucks or 30 bucks with air conditioning or something like that uh for a private room i think we're you know 10 or 12 bucks for a dorm bed okay sweet dude and sunday funday is like you described earlier just chock full of tons of fun very safe shuttles taking you everywhere um and a very curated fun experience that anybody um can afford and feel welcome at right yeah exactly like again you know i think i said it before it's like you're your, you know, your Vegas pool party without the $10,000 tab at the end of the day. Oh yeah, Alex, dude. If you could talk to one audience member who's listening, who has similar aspirations to go start that little hostel on the beach somewhere, in the mountains somewhere, um, what would you tell them to inspire them to take that first step out there and give it a go? Um, I would say keep traveling until you know you're in love with the place you want to be. I think that's the most important. Um, if you don't love where you're at, you're going to give up eventually. And then, you know, number two is uh, uh, don't think it's all, you know, uh, gravy train with biscuit wheels. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of, you know, puke and shit and bull crap. And, you know, if you're in if you're in a third world country or or, you know, if you're you're down in Central or South America, you're going to deal with foreign governments that are are, you know, sometimes difficult and hard to process things. So. Uh, make sure you're you're ready to put the elbow grease in. Dude, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us today. We appreciate and love you and wish you all the best. No, no worries, Chapin, man. Uh, great to get you down here and you know share a glass of Florida Cognac. Awesome, Alex. Thank you so much for your time, man. Again, you're such an inspiration to me and anybody out there who has this aspiration to go out and start a hostel in a third world country. You know, it's important that they have access to this type of information because a lot of people, I think, have these grandiose dreams and they can see opportunity if they're educated in a Western capitalistic country where there's just seemingly opportunity at every step of the way in a country like Nicaragua when you get down to actually making it happen and making it a successful venture. It's a lot harder than everybody thinks. And you are one of those examples of somebody who figured out a way to make a very successful go of it to the level that I think any business operating in the Western world would be very, very happy with. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. If you ever get to Nicaragua, folks, you got to go check out Pachumama Sunday Funday. Super fun times. I've been to it. It's, uh, it's worth it just to fly down there for that week and experience Pachumama and all the things that it has to offer and the adventures surrounding the San Juan del Sur area. So thank you again for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful. As you heard me speak about in the intro, you know, you can go to Patreon and support Misfits and Rejects for everybody who is supporting and wants to support. You will start receiving access to the video recordings that I create with the live interviews I do in person of all the Misfits and Rejects that I interview around the world. So if you're interested in that, you can head over to patreon.com and search Misfits and Rejects. 
make your donation, whatever you want, $1, $5, $10 a month. And then I'll send you that link so you can see that first episode that I videoed with Leon Logothetis, which will be out in you know a few months from now. But because you are a patron of Misfits and Reject, you'll get access to it way in advance and, and all the episodes that I video from there forward. So thank you again for listening. I hope Alex's story and all these stories inspire you to think about your life situation. And if you have aspirations to do something like Alex or do something like one of the other guests you listen to, please feel free to reach out to them. You can reach out to me and hopefully one of us can be that tipping point for you to go out and uh, make it happen. So with that said, much love and I'll see you next week. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.